Hello, everyone. I'm Andrew Epler, and welcome to Season 1 of Yoga for Everyone, a podcast about the evolution of modern yoga. In Season 1, I'm here with Bryce Delbridge at Ashtanga Yoga Studio in Norman, Oklahoma, where we are talking through some of the basic challenges that new students face in today's yoga climate and how the face of modern yoga has changed in recent times. Thanks for joining us. We're so glad you're here. Yoga means so many things to so many people, and it's always been argued about, and we want to jump in there and argue too. <laughs> right, Bryce? That's right. We're, <laughs> We're trying to push everybody's buttons, huh? <laughs> Absolutely. Yoga does that by itself, but we want to help it. <laughs> so, so we could talk a little bit about our backgrounds. I'm Andrew Epler, and I've been practicing Ashtanga yoga for almost 34 years now. I started when I was 14 and yoga has been a major guiding influence and, and practice in my life. And I definitely have a firm belief in its ability to help society, to change people and to transform our experience of life. So we're pro yoga. We're not, we're not on the sort of side of like poo-pooing yoga and pointing out all of its uh, flaws, although we, we do have some flaws that we might want to point out. But <laughs> anyway, I'll turn it over to you, Bryce. So my name is Bryce Delbridge, and I started practicing yoga about 17 years ago to avoid having my whole spine fused with titanium, with scoliosis. And Andrew and his father just recommended that I try yoga, and I've been practicing yoga ever since and gradually started doing it for a living, teaching for a living. And uh, all, all kidding aside, we're not really here to argue about yoga, but just simply share our perspectives. And yoga is an incredible healing modality on every level, not just the physical, but as well as emotional and spiritual. And that's really what I'm most interested in. So very grateful to be here. Yeah, and so so rolling on, um, we have to address the very formidable question of what is yoga? What makes yoga different from Pilates or gymnastics or any of the other very valid exercise modalities out there? There, there's so many parallels, of course. And um, you know, looking back historically, we can say that yoga has been argued about forever. And, and it has meant so many things to so many different people. And um, you can have a million experiences under the context of a yoga class. You could walk into a heated room with pop music and really get your workout on. You could lay down in a quiet room with eye bags and pillows and listen to soothing music and lay on bolsters and stuff. You could go and like hold your arms up in the air and say satnam, satnam over and over again. You could, you know, it could be that you sit down and recite uh, verses in front of a teacher and they tell you if you're saying it right or not and you learn philosophy. But um, what makes yoga different to me, and, and Bryce, you can share your thoughts on this too, is that although it has its physical component, that physical exercise leads to some sort of cleansing of the nervous system and to states of mind which are inherently introspective 
and meditative and which lead to an interest in one's own sort of internal world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I totally agree with that. That's beautiful. And while there's a distinct look to what yoga looks like, it could look like these postures or these breathing techniques or this chanting. Yoga, the word, the root of yoga, yuj, means to unite or union is a very common definition. And so to me, this union is a unification of physical body, energy body, psycho-emotional body, and spiritual body. It's the unification of every aspect of our being. And so just because you go to a yoga class and you're waving your arms around and breathing doesn't mean you're doing yoga. If you're thinking about the past or thinking about the future or not fully present, then it's not really yoga. Same At the same time, somebody could be swimming or rock climbing or uh, jogging or, or cycling, and they could be in a state of yoga. They could be completely present with what they're doing, completely connected and completely aware of everything that's going on. And that to me is also yoga. And so yoga itself is more like a state of consciousness. It's a presence. It's an awareness. It's not limited to just what it physically looks like. Anything could be yoga physically if one is fully present with everything that's going on and everything that they're feeling. Um, and so yoga is, is very universal and can really, that's why it means so many different things to so many people. I totally agree. And, you know, classically you could say that yoga is a practice and that yoga is also a state. And um, that has quite a bit of textual support. And um, it does mean union. Some teachers would say it means union of the common soul with the super soul, if you will. But um, in, in, in our culture and in, in our context, it probably means going into a room with some other people and doing some sort of physical exercise. And, and I think it's fair to say that our, our particular podcast is dealing with the experience that our culture has as we adopt these exercises and, and start to experiment with them in our life. And, and just what that looks like and, and all the ridiculous kind of situations that we find ourselves in as, as we try to sort of strap our heads around this. Bryce, what do you think are some good things to look for in a yoga class? Like, like when when you did you say you knew nothing and you were just trying to find a yoga class? What, what would you look for? I would look for a teacher that encourages people to practice without pain. For a teacher that's kind and compassionate and gentle. Not somebody that's forcing you to do something, even if you don't want to do it. Uh, but I'm really lazy. I don't really like to do anything that's like hurting or, you, you know, like I, I, I don't really like to exercise. I just want to be enlightened. Well, don't we all just want to be enlightened and not do the work? But of course, there requires some sort of effort to create a shift in consciousness. But there are many different styles of teaching. And I lean more towards finding teachers who are compassionate and patient rather than teachers who are just forcing people to do something like like some crazy sort of controlling uh, uh, person who's just like 
doesn't have much control themselves. And so they're trying to control all these other people and get them to breathe in a certain way and move in a certain way and push through pain. And that to me is, is more like violence than it is yoga. <laughs> no, wait a minute. I'm an Ashtangi yogi. You, you, now, hey, me too. What do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> and so like, no matter what style of class it is, any sequence of postures, any breathing exercise, any sort of practice can be approached in a compassionate and healing and loving way. And those are the teachers that I look for. Yeah, I love crushing people into poses. I know you do. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I really couldn't agree more. And, um, you know, we've all been hurt. We've, we've, been, we've injured ourselves with our own foolish ambitions yeah. Oh, yeah. and uh, desire to achieve shapes with our bodies. And um, over the years, we, we've acquired a lot more caution and compassion. And it's very hard to have a, a compassionate attitude towards other people when you're not that way with yourself. Of course. So I, I think my my primary thing to say about looking for yoga and, and trying to plug into some good yoga community, a good yoga class, good yoga culture, is pay attention to the teacher and their vibe. Pick somebody that you can relate to, that you fundamentally trust, and don't worry too much about what kind of yoga. Mm -hmm. All yoga is amazing mm -hmm. in the hands of a good teacher. Absolutely. And all yoga is just terrible if the guy or girl <laughs> is not really coming from a grounded, sane place. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, we, we all tend to get really evangelical and uh, uh, rigorous and gung-ho in the first year or two or three or five <laughs> uh, of, of doing yoga and, and become sometimes very, uh, let's just say, overzealous teachers. Uh -huh. But, but there's, there's a lack of maturity there. Sure. And, you know, as, as yoga culture grows and expands and um, evolves, I think that the standard of teaching and, and, and relating to yoga is, is changing. And, in fact, mm -hmm. that is one of my main um, inspirations for, for this podcast is that we, we just want to contribute to that and, and spark simulating discussion. totally relate. I mean, I've broken my nose twice just doing yoga and created so many injuries. Well, shame on you. <laughs> <laughs> All because I was too overzealous in myself, you know, and... Uh, How did you break your nose? It was in, uh, um, it was in, uh, oh, what is it called? It's Viparita uh, Dandasana. I can't remember the exact name, but you go from handstand and you float down into something that looks like Mayurasana, except instead of hands being back, your hands are straight forward right. and you kind of land with your elbows on your ribs and you kind of hover your whole body parallel but, with the floor. But not on your but, nose. No, no, not on your nose. That's not how you're supposed to land. But whenever you're swooping down from handstand, you got to go really slow. And if you have too much of a back bend and you get too top heavy, the feet Oops. will go overhead and it just smashed the face right on the floor. Did, did your third eye feel any kind of spark of uh, enlightenment? No, more just shame and guilt and, and <laughs> no. embarrassment and gratitude that I'm not dead or broke my nose. Muladhara Chakra kind of gave a little clinch there. <laughs> Probably, yeah. I don't know, a long time ago. I'm sorry. But that's what happens uh, whenever 
I was operating from a delusional belief system that if I believed that if I did every single posture on this piece of paper, on this poster, that it would straighten my spine and heal my spine. And so it's not yoga's fault that I broke my nose. It's none of my teacher's fault. Nobody was even around. It was my fault that I was pushing so hard and trying to force something to happen that wasn't really even in the cards. And all of that has made me, again, just more compassionate and more aware and actually like more retrospective and like, well, more introspective. Why am I even doing this in the first place? Well, if it's to heal, then why am I pushing so hard to the point where it's hurting me? <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I, we, we've all been there. And, and you know, I, I see yoga as a lifelong pursuit and practice. And that's one of the things I really love and respect about it and believe in uh, is that whether you're nine and you're just playing around doing some yoga postures and learning that, you know, this pose is about this animal or, or, or whether you're 89 and, and you're again, laying around, stretching out some stuff that's too tight and trying to strengthen some stuff that's too weak and, uh, doing some therapeutic practice and everywhere in between yoga can be adapted to all levels of fitness and that that's something we're going to get into in in our next podcast but um it's the teacher and not the style and all styles have their inherent limitations Mm -hmm. and their inherent strengths Mm -hmm. and i think that um it's it's really about finding something that you actually love enough to practice regularly that you look forward to mm-hmm. and and that it, it can't be guilt-based or fear-based or uh, oh my god I'm so lazy I'm not doing my yoga today well if if that's really the case then why don't you just not do your yoga that day <laughs> take a walk sleep in wh- whatever you got to do to get your energy back yeah. and get into a state where you want to do something yeah that's the yoga Teacher-student relationship. I, I, I think we should touch briefly on that. People sometimes don't really know how to relate to a teacher. And, and you know, I, I, I suggest that you, as soon as you get in the room, that you just collapse to the floor and grovel across the floor and start to kiss their feet as, as fast as you can. And, and, and some, some moaning, of course, would be good. <laughs> And flowers and uh, sandalwood paste. (laughs) Give them all your money right off the bat. (laughs) Otherwise, you won't get enlightened. (laughs) That's a sure way to test if your teacher is really a cult leader or (laughs) if if they're a real human being who's not going to accept any of that treatment whatsoever (laughs) and call you out for for such like outrageous behavior, giving one's power away. Even if they started out as a real human being, it turns out that some of them shift over to cult leader. Yeah, if enough people like approach them that way. Yeah, enough groveling. And, you know, people put yoga up on a pedestal and, uh-huh. and often kind of confuse the messenger with the message. Uh-huh, of course. And um, I'm pretty sure that there is no human being alive in this world that if you watch close enough, and, and listen carefully enough and follow them long enough 
at some point you're going to be like, hang on, you can't be my mystical, amazing, divine yoga teacher. Are, are you smoking a cigarette? Are you? Why did you sleep with that woman? Oh my God. Are you like, what? This can't be, you know, like you're going to find out that people are, human. are people. They're, we're, they're trying to practice a, a sacred discipline. Yoga yeah. is high and yeah. pure and good. And different people have varying abilities to communicate that. So um, keep it real and um, learn something that you love and that you respect and, and that fundamentally makes sense to you. And be respectful, of course, to your teacher. And ultimately, our long-term teachers become our friends. Absolutely. And, and you know, almost a kind of family. Mm-hmm. And there's a, there's a trust that builds over years and but it's not based on some fanciful uh, idea that you might have read about in a book. Mm-hmm. It doesn't involve groveling and <laughs> foot kissing. Although in another culture, it 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 might involve uh, prostration and and foot kissing, and and of and that, that's fine. It's but, appropriate, but, but in in our culture, not not as much. Yeah, I I don't think that uh, we have to adopt any anything outside of what what actually is sincere. Thank you, everyone, for joining us for this episode of Yoga for Everyone. If you found our conversation meaningful, we would love for you to consider subscribing, sharing this episode with a friend, or writing a review of our podcast. If you have any questions or thoughts to share, you're welcome to shoot us an email through our website, ashtangayogastudio.com. Thanks again for listening.